This is Fundraising Radio, episode number 14, and today as a guest speaker, we have Alexander Piskunov, who is the partner of Ruvento Ventures, a San Francisco-based VC fund. And in this episode, he will tell us about the structure of a venture capital, about how it works, where the incentives of its workers, how to get promoted within the VC, etc. So uh, before we get started, I want to note that our sponsor is Marple App, which is a great app for testing out marketing campaigns really simply and with no pain. So I'll leave the link in the uh, description of the episode and you can check it out. So Alexander, let's get started by you giving us some background on yourself and then we'll move on. Yeah, to uh, thanks a lot, Constantine. Just uh, to clarify, can you hear me well? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you perfectly. Okay, great. Uh, thanks a lot. So yeah, my name is Alexander. I am a partner at Ruventa here for about a couple of years now. Uh, when I first joined, I joined as an associate and I moved up uh, to principal about um, six months ago and now I'm a partner. And uh, before I joined Rovento, I used to live for uh, the majority of my life in UK, even though I'm originally from Russia. And after graduating from school, going to uh, do a bachelor's and master's at Cambridge, I then went on to work in investment banking and private equity for a little bit, and uh, then I joined Rovento. So yeah, um, I mean, I guess the purpose of this podcast is um, twofold, right? So firstly, for all you startup founders out there, it will be, I guess, quite interesting to know uh, whom to deal with, whom not to deal with when it comes to trying to raise fundraising from a venture capital fund. And for other VCs, I guess it could also be interesting because I will be talking a little bit about differences in VC structure when it comes to funds in Russia, in Europe and in America, because uh, naturally these all are quite different due to their regional specifics. So yeah, um, I mean, I guess I should start by briefly talking about the different types of venture capital funds that exist. So firstly, uh, before a venture capital fund gets interested in a specific deal, it's normally funded by friends, fools and family in the very early round. And then if uh, the project is going, if the founder has a good background and there is significant traction, uh, the startup can potentially be noticed by a business angel. Normally, a business angel is an individual who has a significant experience and background in specific industry, uh, say electronics or telecoms or biotech, and he knows a few folks in that industry, he knows the trends, and if he is able to establish a good working and trusting relationship with an entrepreneur, then he can potentially back this entrepreneur with a little bit of money and give him access to his network and expertise. However, uh, because the angel investors don't normally commit large sums of money and invest quite early on, they are normally active as just individuals. And uh, occasionally it is the case, like for example, in Altair Capital in uh, Russia or United Investors in Russia or a few larger scale syndicates in the United States, where a few angel investors would band together to pull their expertise, to pull their money. And in those cases, 
they have a significant financial cloud enough to be able to hire maybe two to three financial analysts, maybe a few back office guys to sort of do their financial records. But this normally would not be classified as a classic VC fund, even though uh, some of the functions like um, arranging syndication rounds or arranging due diligence efforts would not be done by the angels themselves, but their background guys. However, uh, when the startup grows even further, reaches the seed stage, then it can be picked up by the early stage venture capital funds. And normally uh, the amount of employees that a typical venture capital fund has really depends on its size. And uh, this is the relationship because the amount of employees a VC fund can have would, deter would be determined by its management fee, uh, which is in itself determined by how much money was given by LPs to the fund itself. And normally the whole structure goes something like 2% uh, management fee and 20% fee uh, to the partners of the fund, to the general partners, once um, a deal is made, the exit deal is made, or once an investment is made. It normally depends on the actual uh, structure on which the fund was founded. So uh, if we consider an average fund size to be around $100 million, let's say for America, this is a typical fund size of an early stage, for Russia, it's a much more considerable fund size. And because of the differences in uh, funding stages, maybe three to four million in Russia, it's a good uh, Series A, Series B amount invested by an individual fund, while three to four million in the United States, it's a typical seed stage. So if we consider that a 2% management fee is given to the fund, then on average, maybe this fund can have two to three analysts, um, maybe one or two associates and a principal, and the rest uh, is uh, distributed between the partners of the fund. So normally, when we uh, look at the roles between the different positions uh, in Russia, the funds are very small, and for the very uh, initial stages of the workers, it's actually quite beneficial because they have to do everything from uh, being involved in the actual uh, startup investment sourcing, from being involved in portfolio work, so working closely with the companies that the fund has previously invested in, to uh, actively going out to different conferences across the world to showcase their fund's brand name, as well as to sort of develop their own network, uh, while the associates and principals are uh, far more heavily involved in fundraising for the fund, in portfolio management when it comes to the later stages. If the fund invests primarily at early stage, after a few years' time, its portfolio matures. And even though it might have invested at seed stage, it gets companies that are Series B or Series C, so uh, there is much more work involved when it comes to arranging further financing rounds, arranging um, overseas contracts or strategic development. While uh, no matter whether the fund itself is in Russia, in 
Abu Dhabi or in the United States, normally most of the high profile work is done by the partners. So they're the guys who were there when the fund was made. So they have the actual skin in the game. Perhaps they contributed some of their own money to act as collateral uh, and back up the fund success. So they are always the public face. They have to communicate to existing and new LPs. They have to uh, always be present on new fundraising tours. Uh, they have to uh, receive awards. They have to talk to CEOs of their portfolio companies. And ultimately, when it comes to saying the final yes or no uh, on the investment committee, so once an, once an analyst found the company uh, potentially fitting to the investment focus of the fund, once an associate has done all the necessary due diligence to make sure that yes, the fund is adequate, that the market is indeed here, that the technology is interesting and it can be protected. Once the principal of the fund has communicated with the previous um, other funds who have given the money before and he has talked to the clients of this particular startup to understand whether or not um, they are actually interested in continuing to use this product over the long run. And if yes, then what kind of features would they like to see added? Then it's actually up to the partners of the fund to have the final yes or no. And uh, after the decision is made uh, on the investment committee, it's actually quite a short period of time before the first tranche of the money is wired to the entrepreneur. And when I say the first tranche of the money is wired, this is the case because normally, even though a fund can uh, contribute maybe, let's say, three to four million dollars at Series A, normally this money is not given as a lump sum, but rather as a series of tranches. And this is the case because this this particular situation acts as an additional as an additional um, point to reduce risk for the partners of the venture capital fund because they give uh, the first tranche of the money based on the due diligence that they did, and then they say we will give you one million now, and the next million would be given if you the entrepreneurs would accomplish a specific set of previously agreed upon objectives. Maybe you would enter the new market. Maybe you would um, acquire new customers and it will be understandable based on your financial record. Maybe you would develop your new product, secure a patent or so on. And once this evidence can be presented to the partners of the fund, then the new tranche of the money is wired. So, yeah, this is uh, normally the case. And also, what I'd like to say is that uh, the higher the stage at which the venture capital fund invests, and by that I mean, for example, seed stage versus series A versus series B and so on, normally the longer it takes for the fund to make an informed investment decision of whether or not to give the money to the startup. Um, if we go to the friends, family, and fools round, normally it can be almost instantaneous, say like a day or so before the money can be given 
by me to my cousin or to my brother or to my friend whom I studied in school with. And this length of decision is based on the fact that firstly, uh, there is actually not as much money to be transferring hands in comparison to the many uh, tens or hundreds of millions at the later rounds. And also, I personally know these guys whom I'm giving the money to. So uh, if they lie to me, if they don't give me the money, then I know how to chase them around the dinner table. Similar Speaking of that, actually, I wanted to ask you, uh, what's the average time that you take for decision-making process? Well, look, uh, once again, we are uh, investing from seed stage all the way to series B. Uh, at the seed stage, I'd say that the average time um, is about a month, uh, if it's an ideal situation, right? So maybe um, we speak to an entrepreneur, we really like him, we believe in his idea, we can see the market. Then our analysts try mm -hmm. and understand uh, whether this particular idea is actually fit within our investment focus. And if yes, then they communicate it to one of our associates. An associate does a due diligence. Maybe the due diligence is around a week's time. Um, and a little bit longer, if it's a specifically technical case, something like quantum computing or um, supersonic jets or super, super uh, advanced robotics. And we in Revento as a VC fund, historically, we specialized on deep tech, on industry 4.0, so the aspects of technology which require in-depth due diligence. But recently from August, we are also beginning to consider uh, things like marketplaces or uh, consumer goods um, in the startup field, which don't require as much due diligence because they're understandable. Yet um, on the startup found itself, it's also a bigger burden because they have to showcase more significant traction because otherwise it's difficult to argue the case that they're very unique and different from the other startups in the same space out there. So after an associate does the due diligence, once again, maybe around a week or a little bit longer, then the case is presented at the investment committee. And this would be the case of maybe two to three days. And if the case is presented and it's moving forward, then we will take maybe four to five days to do the external due diligence, which would consist of maybe speaking to our network of industry figures in large corporations like Samsung or Apple or LG uh, or Microsoft, uh, which would give us an understanding of whether or not this technology is actually commercially viable. Uh, would there be an interest from such large corporations to do a pilot or to do a contract or how easy it is to scale it from one country to another? And simultaneously, we would also look at um, speaking to our friendly professors in universities like Moscow State University, MIT, Stanford, uh, Columbia, and others to see how easy uh, this particular technological product is to protect uh, from the field of patents, how easy it is, how feasible it actually is from the theoretical perspective, because we got pitched uh, things, crazy things like um, quantum teleportation devices based in your watch or nuclear reactors in your suitcase or things like that. So 
um, startups which might sound cool as a product, but which are definitely not feasible at all uh, based on the current level of the technological development. So we all have to validate it. And if we get a green light from both the industry figures and from the scientific figures, then we can say, yes, uh, we like it. And then the case would also depend on whether or not we are a lead investor. If we want to become a lead investor, then it means that we would contribute the majority of the check to the round. We would get in return the largest equity share and we would agree with the startup that we would bring to him uh, a few other venture capital funds to contribute to the round. So we would help to syndicate it, basically. And if um, we help so, then we would um, go with the startup founder and organize a sort of a road show where we would talk to a few other guys in the venture capital industry who would be potentially interested based on their own um, industry focus and investment outlook. And uh, we would present to them the case, explain why they're interested and try and syndicate the round. If we're not syndicating the round, then we would still try and understand why the investors of the previous rounds were interested in this particular startup in the first place. And normally, uh, when I say it, uh, this is the case for Series A and Series B, because in this stage, uh, there is not as much due diligence which can be done in that regard, because all, all you can do is speak to angels, and not all of them are very well known as guys like Bill Gates or um, Igor Rabinke in Russia, for example. So sometimes they can be quite difficult to track down. But if we see, for example, that this particular project is in food tech and we see some guy from um, McDonald's, maybe he's a CEO or he's a uh, like a three Michelin star chef uh, backing this project with his own money, then we can definitely see that, yes, there is definitely an innovation to be had here and that this particular business angel trusts this particular entrepreneur with his money. So it's definitely a plus for us. Uh, so once we look at the dynamics of the previous round and we look at all the other aspects of both internal and external due diligence that can be done, and um, all of those aspects get given the green light. And to be honest with you, it's rarely the case that any particular project uh, get the green light both from our own due diligence, from external due diligence, from uh, the founding team, um, from the market perspective, from all those kind of things that normally the VC founders look at. So it's not um, a weight of one single factor, but it's more of a combination. But most of all, especially at the early stages, it's very important that we as an investment team get a good understanding of what the founding team of the startup is all about, uh, what they see over the long run uh, about how the startup will develop. And also, it's very important to know that there are adequate guys that can be relied upon because we've had the cases where we like the guy, we like the technology, he has a very good industry brand name. But then we start to do due diligence on him and we find out that this guy actually change his name, change his surname, because 
in his original name, he got wanted by the FBI for stealing some uh, technological patents from his past employer. And definitely he's not someone who can be trusted. Also, in that regard, um, it can be quite dangerous to deal with guys like Adam Newman, Elizabeth Holmes, uh, Travis Kalanick, because yes, yeah, they are very well known, they are experienced, they have uh, many billions to back up their own claims of innovation. Um, not many corporations want to deal with them because, uh, because they are considered toxic, right? So as a VC investor, uh, normally you orient uh, on a long-run investment. So you cannot afford something to go wrong in the next one to two years' time if you plan for the next four to five. And when I talk about four to five years' time, let me just say that uh, normally when a venture capital fund is founded, uh, it has an investment horizon of maybe the next three to four years, and then it aims to exit all of its investments in the other uh, two, to three, two to three years in the future. So the average lifespan of the VC fund is maybe um, five to six years, and in that time, the fundraising does not stop because the worst thing that a VC fund can do is invest all of, all of its money and then just sit on its portfolio and try to get rid of it. Because in the US, uh, the venture capital funds try and move with the time. So uh, as you may or may not know, it is uh, recently the case that many states in the US are opening up their legal system to include cannabis and its related products. So many funds in the US spring up like mushrooms to focus specifically on devices and technologies that deal only with CBD, so cannabinoids. And historically, this has been a part of so-called vice tech investments or something that a normal traditional venture capital funds would not touch at all. And a, a vice tech investment would be something like sex, drugs, alcohol, um, cannabis, specifically, right, firearms and things like that. And a traditional venture capital fund would not touch that because, yes, there might be super normal profits and returns to be had from that. But a venture capital fund gets its money from pension funds, from other corporations, from um, smaller business angels who act as LPs. And these LPs, so limited partners, don't want to have their reputation smeared by their less than conventional sources of revenue. So a VC, uh, when it raises its fund, um, has a mandate of which industries, which geographies, and which stages of investment it can deal with. And if those stages are not specified in the transformation document, then it will be ill-advised to invest in that because then it's very unlikely to raise a subsequent round of financing. And yes, um, moving back to the investment team members, I would just like to make the final point of how can um, an analyst be promoted and so on. So historically, uh, it is the case that most venture capital firms hire interns, 
but most interns are there only for a short period of time, mainly the summer, or an off-cycle internship. So it's three to four years, three to four months at the most. And after that, this intern gets back to his studies or gets back to work or something. So normally, when it, when it comes to considering whether or not a specific candidate is accepted for an internship, he'll be judged upon probably his interest in the industry, maybe his knowledge of some specific deals, maybe his understanding of the investment focus of the fund where he's applying to, but uh, there is no need for a diversified uh, deal sheet. There is no need for in-depth connections or stuff like that, even though it obviously helps because whether you're applying for a VC fund in the US or in Russia, they're all quite small industries. So normally uh, everyone knows each other. So the connections definitely help. When it comes to analysts, uh, there is much more um, knowledge that is required to be hired when it comes to uh, financials, right? So you have to know what are unit economics, what kind of unit economics exist for each specific industry. You have to know how to calculate things like the burn rate, the uh, run rate. You have to know if you want to work at a VC fund who specializes at later stages, um, what are the things that go inside the budgets, how to calculate the financials and so on. But uh, once again, I guess you don't really need to know uh, as much about the inner specifics of the fund because often case um, analysts are hired from a background in investment banking or private equity if it's a later stage fund or something like consulting or startups or um, technological industries if it's an earlier stage fund. And when we move up, an analyst, and uh, I mean, an intern can become an analyst, an analyst can become an associate. Normally it takes two to three years for an analyst to become an associate. And when you become an associate, you deal with deal sourcing and more with portfolio work. So you're trusted to help your portfolio companies to grow and to deal with directly their CEOs. So you, you have a more public profile, uh, public profile, yes. So it takes maybe two to three years for an associate to become a principal. And when you're a principal, you have an even more public facing role. So you're, you're, you're the face of your fund at international conferences. Sometimes you get given um, speak, speaking roles. Sometimes you get given an opportunity to participate in fundraising. Often case, you are a person to go to uh, for syndication of investment rounds. Sometimes you may be given an opportunity to act as interim CEO for companies in your portfolio that are doing badly. But it is very rare that a principal can become a partner. Why is that? Because partners are normally decided at the fundraising stage or at the stage when the fund is initially uh, established. Because at, it is at this stage uh, where the names of the partners are actually put into the fund formation document and they stay so until the new fund is founded. So yeah, I guess um, in a small kind of talk that I wanted to give, it's pretty much it. But I can see that we have another 10 to 15 minutes 
um, of our talk left. So I'd like to open up the floor to the questions from the audience. Yeah, actually, I forgot to mention that uh, since your last presentation, I have uh, uh, decreased the presentation time to 30 minutes, but it's totally fine since uh, there was a trouble with recording, so it cut out a little bit, so it's still going to be 30 minutes. So uh, if anyone wants to ask a question, now is the best time. Yep. We still have like five minutes. Going once, going twice, going threes. All right. Uh, <clears throat> since uh, I'll ask my um, question. I actually have a question. Never mind. Sure. Um, so you mentioned that um, you yourself have become a partner in the fund recently, but then you yep. also said that it rarely happens, and it happens when the fund is like uh, re-established, I guess. So uh, mm -hmm. I'm just interested uh, to hear how it happened for you. Yeah, uh, sure. I'd love to talk about that. So when I first joined, uh, it was once again a couple of years ago, and at the time the fund was quite it had a few uh, people in our office in the US, it had an office in uh, Singapore, our original location. Uh, and since then we've uh, made a lot of deals. Some of them were, uh, especially uh, from my own accord. So I saw these deals, I spoke to entrepreneurs, I did all the due diligence, and then I presented the case to the investment committee of the partners. And this was initially how I moved up from an associate to a principal at the fund. And then I was far more involved in the fundraising work. So I did a few roadshows in terms of fundraising to South Korea, to uh, Tokyo and to Singapore, where I engaged with major corporations out there to convince them to give some money to the fund. And the reason why I chose to engage with the corporations because historically, when the fund was first founded, uh, most of the money in terms of LPs came from private individuals, so family offices, uh, large business angels, and so on. While at the moment, I chose to focus on corporations, on the institutionals, because uh, for us at the fund, it's much greater publicity, right? So like uh, if guys like Microsoft or Sony or Samsung invest in us, it shows the whole world that they trust us with their money. And also, um, individually, they're able to give much larger check sizes than an individual um, person. Also, for our portfolio companies, it's of great value when it comes to sourcing contracts or uh, making them more successful in internationally in terms of expansion where this cooperation is strong in. And also, for the corporation itself, uh, as I've mentioned before, they're much more comfortable in doing later stage M&A deals. So when it comes to early stage venture capital deals, they often don't have the expertise. So we're able as a VC fund to convince them that they can, that we can give them a qualified portfolio in the sector that they're most interested in. So it's sort of a win-win-win situation. And I saw some money in that regard from the corporation for the fund. And I was able to build a good relationship with the existing partners of the fund to convince them to promote me. And this is why I'm now uh, leading a team of my own. So the guys serve the deals, they do the due diligence work while I'm mainly involved in fundraising and in the high profile public activities such as this particular fundraising radio, which I'm doing right now. I hope this answers your question. Oh, uh, yes, thank you. Yep. Yeah, that was pretty 
interesting, uh, very precise description of how the whole flow of investing works. So uh, I really enjoyed the, today's episode and I hope everyone who was here today enjoyed it too. Um, so we'll wrap it up here. And thanks, Alexander, a lot for joining and sharing your expertise in that. And, yeah, thanks uh, a lot, Constantine, and the rest of you guys. If you have any questions about myself, any kind of work with Dr. Venture or the VC world in general, please feel free to reach out. Uh, personally, I'm quite available. Thanks a lot. I will uh, leave Alexander's uh, link on uh, OpenLand so you can reach him there. Yep. And uh, have a great weekend, guys. Bye. Have a great Bye. week, guys. Mm -hmm. Bye.